I want to tell you about uh, when we were in Montevideo, we had first come there, and one of our elders was an insurance agent, and he came and put together this little retirement plan for us where we would give money every month into this annuity, and the church would add a little to it, and he explained this thing that it pays... Right now, he said, it pays 6%. He said, and conceivably, it could pay more than that. It could, interest rates could go up and you could eventually get more than that. But he said, it could never go lower than 3%. 3% was the guarantee. And I think maybe for one year, we got 6% and then it was five, four, three, and it's been three ever since. 3% was the guarantee. Understanding that interest rates have come down and that's what everybody's getting or lower than that, I don't feel disillusioned. I don't feel disappointed because that what was guaranteed. Today we're going to talk about the gospel guarantee. What is it actually that God guarantees us in the gospel? Would you stand with me, please? We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll have the words up on the screen if you want to follow along. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way in this service, that you would speak, and that we would hear and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if you have been tracking with us in the story, we've been every week telling what the lower story was biblically and then tracking what the upper story was going on at the same time and then how do we live in light of of that upper story. Well, point one today is the lower story 
about the resurrection. Paul says that in our text that the one who raised Jesus from the dead. A guarantee is only as good as the, the, the one who made the guarantee. Our, our annuity, the 3% means absolutely nothing if the company that gave that guarantee goes bankrupt. The, the gospel guarantee is based on the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul tells us that if Christ is not raised from the dead in history, that our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, we're still in our sins. That everything in Christianity hinges on the historical resurrection. And there's all kinds of apologetics for the resurrection. That's another sermon. We're not going to get that today. Nisan 14 is Passover. Jesus dies on the cross. We did that last time. Nisan 15 is the first day of unleavened bread. Our, our day would be April 4, 33 AD. It's the day after Passover. The Pharisees come to Pilate in their fears. Let me read to you from Matthew 27. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So here's what's going on. The, the Pharisees with the priests had tried to control things by killing Jesus. Now it's not only is it the day of unleavened bread, it's also a Sabbath. They are supposed to be at home. They are supposed to be celebrating, but they're, they're filled with fear which is how control works. And they, they come to Pilate and they're like, uh, we're, we're afraid that this could even be worse than before we killed him if, if we allow this to happen. So Pilate says, let's, let's put a, Ro- a Roman guard there, which is at least six soldiers, and let's put a Roman seal on the stone. That is Rome's guarantee. If, if there is a breaking of that seal, all those soldiers die. It is, Ro- it is the political guarantee that we will keep Jesus dead. So let's move on to Nisan 16, April 5th. People have read the four resurrection accounts and some have said, uh, these, are, these are different and therefore contradictory. And um, Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ says, no, no. <laughs> He, he was a legal reporter for the Chicago Tribune before he started writing apologetics. And he said, no, for ancient history, if, if it's too alike, 
it is not even treated as a separate witness. That there, it has to have the feel like these are different people reporting, and everybody is going to report something different as how they experienced it. So we have four gospel accounts that we have to kind of put together to figure out Resurrection Day. We have Matthew and John, who are eyewitnesses. Then we have Mark's gospel, which was told, he wrote Peter's story for him. And then Luke, he, he interviewed everybody to get eyewitness accounts. So here's the, here's the four gospels put together. Early in the morning, a number of women come to the tomb. They are talking amongst them. They, they, they set out when it's still dark and they're talking amongst themselves, who's going to move the stone? Because the, the stone that was put over the grave was a, a massive stone, a big stone, it says in Matthew's gospel. When they arrived, they found the stone already removed. There are two angels there. The guard, it says, the, the guards are laying on the ground, shaking in fear because of these angels. One of the angels speaks. And says, says that Jesus is not here. He's risen. Just as he said he would. Go. Tell the disciples. Tell Peter that he is raised from the dead. So these women, they go back and, and the Bible tells us at the same time that they go back, the guards get up. And they send some of the guards to Pilate, or I'm sorry, to the Jewish priest to say what had happened. And the, the Jewish priest give them a bunch of money and they say, listen, tell them, tell everybody that the disciples broke through and stole the body and we will make sure that you don't get in trouble with Pilate. So they do that. At the same time, the women come to the disciples. The Bible says that they were experiencing fear. They were experiencing joy, and they were experiencing confusion. And they get to the, the apostles, and the apostles are, they're, they're done with the idea of believing, and they just shut these women down. They said, this is, this is nonsense. Did you see him? No, well, I guess we didn't see him. Nonsense. You, you're speaking from your own desire for something to happen. Yet Peter and John run back. Mary Magdalene goes with them. Peter goes in. He sees the empty tomb. He walks away. It's that, it, the Bible says wondering. John sees the empty tomb. He walks away believing. Mary sees the empty tomb and she stays there. She asked the gardener, where have you taken him? And then Jesus speaks, Mary. And she sees that it's him. And Mary Magdalene is the first one that sees the risen Christ. And she goes back and tells the disciples he is alive. And Jesus himself appears among them. I'm gonna read from Luke 24, 36 through 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, 
thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Resurrection day. The upper story. God had set these Jewish feasts in order. There was Passover done on the weekend of unleavened bread and then the Sunday after the Sabbath was first fruits. Jesus rises on first fruits. He died on Passover. He was the Passover lamb and he rose on first fruits. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So here's the gospel guarantee. The the guarantee of Passover is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He died for our sins. He took our sins upon him so that anybody that puts their trust in him is forgiven of their sins and is passed over by God's judgment. It's not that we're not judged for sin. It's that we were judged for sin 2,000 years ago on the cross. That judgment has already happened. There is no video of your sins waiting for you in heaven. Jesus washed away all of our sins. That's the guarantee of the gospel. We celebrated this morning in in communion. Jesus rose on first fruits. The, The second gospel guarantee is a promise that when Jesus comes again, our bodies will be raised up and we will be given a new body. Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul tells us in both 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians 15, Those who have died in Christ are not going to be left out of this event. That those who have have perished are going to be raised first. They right now are with the Lord. They are already with Jesus. Jesus will bring them with him, but their bodies are going to be resurrected. The perishable will be raised first. And then those who are still alive, those who are mortal, in a twinkling of an eye, will we'll rise with them and, and our bodies will literally be changed in the air. And that's the, that's the group that says, oh death, where is your sting? And we're gonna have these new bodies that's just like Jesus's body. Flesh and bone, 
can, can appear, disappear, yet solid. You can touch it. You can eat. We will eat. We will celebrate, even in heaven. But this, this new body will be able to sustain all of the glory of God and will live for eternal life. Amazing. So, living in, the, in light of the upper story. First, receiving eternal life now. A baby is in the womb for nine months. That nine months is very important. It prepares them, it strengthens them, it develops them so that they can be ready for this life. This life, okay, so we've got nine months to prepare for a whole lifetime. Then we've got 90 years, give or take. 90 years, we have nine months to prepare for a lifetime, and then we have 90 years to prepare for eternity. This this is the womb for eternity. So, well, Pastor Tom, everybody doesn't live 90 years. No, not, and not every baby makes it nine months. Sometimes they come early, don't they? And sometimes they, they go late. But it's, it's around there. But the point of the womb is to prepare for life. You can, you can imagine a baby in the womb convinced that this is all there is. And, and the, this little space and that umbilical cord and the, this, this is the whole life. And, and if, you were, if you were trying to speak to that baby, what would you say? You'd say, no, no, you, you don't get it. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't realize how constricted you are and how dark this womb is. This, this is just preparation. You're getting ready. There is beauty and freedom and light. And, and this, is, this is just preparing you for your, for your birth. And, and you, need to, you need to get excited because you haven't really lived yet. See, and that's what Jesus is speaking to us in this lifetime. This life is a test, folks. This life is, Jesus said, you will, you're going to have trouble. But those troubles, those afflictions are going to be used to strengthen you, to prepare you, to get you ready. Because these little 90 years down here, this is not life. This is, this, is, this is a preparation for all eternity. Think about it. Just think about nine months and how small that amount of time is to 90 years. It's just a really brief time in the womb, isn't it? In 90 years. Okay, then do 90 years versus all eternity. Do you see that this life is just extremely short? Extremely short. It's just a womb. It's just, it's preparing us for eternal life. <clears throat> but here's where the confusion comes in. It's very easy to conclude 
that eternal life starts when I die. When I die, then eternal life will start. And Jesus said, no, no, that's, that's not how it is. There is no life given in the transition. When you die, the idea that when I die, I will be given eternal life, that's not how it works. Any more than in the womb, if a child is dead in the womb, it will be delivered dead. It, there is no life that happens when it breaks through. If it's alive in the womb, it will come out alive. If it's dead in the womb, it will come out dead. There's no life in the transition. Jesus said you must be born again. This is the time to receive the gift of eternal life. Eternal life actually is a relationship with God. John 17, 3, here's what Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. It is a relationship with God that starts now. So at the end of this service, if you're, if you're not convinced that you have life now, that you've received God's gift, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you haven't received that gift, we'll have a time at the end of this service so that you can assure yourself that eternal life is in you and that this relationship is part of your current life because the most important thing for these 90 years is to be ready for all eternity. So that's going to happen in this service. Living in light of Jesus' resurrection, of the upper story of God's desire. Second, resting in God's promise when we're not physically healed in this life. While healing is available now, he, Jesus is a healer and physical healing is available now. It is part of the kingdom of God. It actually should be asked for and believed for now. Physical healing now is not the gospel's guarantee. When we were in Montevideo, a dear friend of mine, very, he was like a father to me. He was very generous, very gracious, just a bright light in the community. And he got near, he, he got cancer and he got near his death. And he was really, really struggling with whether God loved him. And I'm, I'm like, Roger, you, this is... You've, you've lived this faith your whole life. What's going on with you? What's, this is the most important time for your faith. And here's what he said to me. He said, well, I thought that Jesus died for my sins and that he, in the same way, died for my sicknesses. And therefore, if I am not healed, even though people have prayed for me to be healed and I believe to be healed, if I'm not healed, how can I know that I'm forgiven? Do you see the mathematics there? If the gospel is guaranteeing healing when we pray for healing and I'm not healed, why would I believe the guarantee that I'm forgiven? I say, bro, <laughs> Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you could be reconciled to God. If you get healed in your body, that's a, that's a bonus. That's a benefit. 
But the guarantee for the body is that one day you will be redeemed. One day that body will be raised. So we have um, cessationists in the body of Christ that believe that God doesn't heal today. And confusion is occurs when people read their Bible and they read about Jesus and Jesus healed all the time and they read the book of Acts and there was healing and there was uh, people got raised from the dead and all kinds of things and, and then you, you Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever and it's like, uh, what happened? Why, why doesn't he heal people today? If that's who he is and that's what he did and that was part of his ministry, why doesn't he do it? It's very confusing. And of course, there's very complicated explanations of why all that ceased, and we're not even going to go there, because we're, we're not that church. We're, we're, we're a healing church. We believe in healing today. But some charismatics believe that the guarantee for the body is healing. And this position equally causes confusion. Because if somebody is not healed, then something has gone wrong. Somebody, somebody didn't do it right. The church didn't believe right. They didn't believe right. They didn't do something. You have to assign blame. If it is the guarantee that the gospel guarantees healing, somebody doesn't get healed, then it's somebody's fault that they didn't get healed. And this has caused a tremendous amount of disillusionment, disillusionment and disappointment. So how, how, do we, how do we fit healing now into the gospel? Healing is available to be asked and believed for. I want to read Romans eight eleven. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So right now, we're living in a tent. Has anybody ever gone camping before? Don't you thank God that that tent is not your permanent home? I've been, I, we've been camping. The last time we camped as a family was when this church was called MGT. It was family camp. It was me, Alice, and our two little ones, Matt and Annie. I remember Matt in his super, Superman pajamas. We were having chapel in the field, and Matt runs by as Superman. And the, the cape is behind him. And, and that night it rained. I don't mean a little. I mean it poured. And I'm not Mr. Outdoors, and I don't know exactly what I did to the tent to get it to leak the way it did, but, <laughs> but Matt and I were sleeping on an island. There was water all around us. Alice and Anne were long gone. They were in the, the, the station wagon, sleeping. And that was the last time we camped as a family. <laughs> It's a tent. It's not our house. It's our tent. This this is just our tent. This is this this outer the outer man that's wasting away now. It's just a tent. It's a temporary arrangement. It's a temporary body. It's going to last a little while. However, 
We need to live in this thing for a while, don't we? And, and so the Holy Spirit quickens this mortal. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life or quickens this mortal body so that we can, we can, we can do what we need to do down here. And every time there is a healing, it is evidence of the resurrection. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a promise that this, the same spirit that just healed you is one day going to raise you. It's a promise of the guarantee. Every healing down here is a promise. It's a guarantee that one day, this, the same spirit that just healed you one day is going to raise you up and give you that permanent dwelling place, that permanent home. One reason why the church doesn't experience more physical healing is because people don't ask and don't believe. Jesus spent a lot of time healing. 80% of his ministry was healing the sick. And so I don't even, I'm not just saying it's available. I'm saying it's our responsibility to ask God and to believe for healing. When the Fritzlers were here for our missions week, they, uh, Jadine told a story that just happened like two months ago. This single mom came in who's got lots of children. She, had, she went in because of great pain. They had a gallbladder surgery planned for her. The problem was she didn't have money and she didn't have time. The time it was going to take to recover and nobody to watch the kids. And she said, I am here for healing. I, I want to be healed. And Jadine grabs her Nazarene friend that's in there and they lay hands on her and it was so powerful, the prayer time, that this lady said, I'm, I'm healed. I believe God healed me. And Jadine was impressed. Something, something had happened. But she never heard what happened. A month later, she sees this lady. And this woman is just ecstatic. And Jadine says, so you're all better? She said, I'm all better. She said, did you have the surgery? She said, no, I didn't need a surgery. Janine said, would you explain to me what happened? She said, when you laid hands on me, I felt the electric, like electricity, go all the way through me, and I knew I was instantly healed. Evidence. Evidence of the kingdom of God. Evidence of the presence of Jesus. I, we, Alice and I were getting gas in McFarland. This is two weeks ago. And uh, <coughs> actually, I'm the one out there. Alice is resting in the van. I'm the one out there doing the actual work. Um, and the, and this, this lady in front of me, this lady in front of me is getting gas, but she pops her trunk, and she's got a backpack in there, a box, and another bag, and, and I'm just making conversation. I just said it. It looks like you're heading on a trip. You must be going somewhere. And she said, yeah. She said, I'm going, I'm going to the UW hospital because I have to go there every week because I've got this immune deficiency disease that it, I have to go. I have to go every week. And I said, well, I said, I said, this is going to sound awkward. I said, but we have... We have seen so much healing at our church. I said, not every time, but we've seen a lot of healing. Would you mind if I prayed for you right now? She said, go ahead. 
And then, of course, male, female, do you mind if I put a hand on your shoulder? No, go ahead. Do what you need to do. So I lay a hand on her, pray a short prayer. She has tears in her eyes. And she says, Could I, would you mind if I gave you a hug? And I don't, actually, I told her about City Church, told her about things, but did you know that whether she got healed or not, that God touched her with his goodness? That she knew that there's a God thinking about her, a God that loves her, a God that's set up, that she doesn't have to do this thing alone? And I'm not saying she didn't get healed. But even if she didn't get healed... There was a message. God is with you. God remembers you. God's... Pastor Tom, if the kingdom of God is here and there's healing in the kingdom, then why can't we... Why can't healing be a guarantee right now? Because the kingdom is here, but the kingdom's not fully here. We are living in tension right now. Every time we have communion, we're living in tension. Communion is both a time where we're celebrating God's presence and we're longing for his return because we're also remembering his absence. To be present in this body is to be absent from the Lord. Jesus is coming again. This thing culminates when he comes back. And so we live in this tension. We, we've got a lot in this world that gives us evidence of his presence. And we need to look for it. And we need to call it out. And we need to believe it. But how many know there's a lot of things in this world that are evidence of, of his absence? How, how many know there's a lot of evidence that things aren't all right yet? And so we're living in tension. Paul says it, we're groaning now. The spirit is the spirit now is the guarantee of what is to come. He is the deposit of what is to come. But right now we're in we're living in tension. I'm reminded and I hope you are of God's sovereign goodness in the midst of this time of pain. There was no one in my memory that believed more for healing than our woman's pastor, Angie Russo. She believed God for healing. She asked and believed right until the end. Here's the sovereignty of God. August 31st, the one-year Bible reading is 2 Thessalonians 4 through 5, 6. I am reading this about the tent, about the groaning, and that God's purpose for our bodies is that they be swallowed up in life and that we get a new body. And I am reading this and I'm meditating on God's higher purpose of giving us a new body. And I get a text and the text is, Angie has passed to be with the Lord. What struck me was that God's purpose was different than our purpose. Our purpose was for her to be healed now and to go and live longer here. And and God's purpose was that this tent would be put away and swallowed up by his life. 
this last Tuesday, my mom went home to be with the Lord. It was about noon on Tuesday. The entire family was in the hospital singing songs like Sweet Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and I'll Fly Away. And as we were praying, Jesus just came and and all of a sudden she was she was I felt it. My sister Katie felt it. The that that she saw what was going on and just went to be with the Lord. And so we sent got the email out and Joel said, you know, what about Sunday? Do you still want to preach? I said, oh, I want to preach. It's on the resurrection. (laughs) (laughs) Paul said that Jesus is the first fruits of those who sleep. Did you ever notice how often they use sleep? Jesus said, we need to go wake up Lazarus because he's sleeping. Why did Jesus and why did the disciples use the word sleep? Here's why. When you get the eternal picture, this whole life is a vapor. So, think about somebody going to bed, a family member going to bed at night. You don't say goodbye to them. You you say goodnight. I'll see you in the morning. We've got a very temporary separation. Goodnight. We'll see you in the morning. Paul says, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Oh, we still grieve. I've been grieving all week long. My mom was amazing. She's, she's left a huge gap in my life. But I'll tell you what, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. I'm going to see her soon. I'm going to be back with her soon. You don't, you don't need to say goodbye to Angie. You can say goodnight. We'll see you in the morning. We have every head bowed and every eye closed. In God's sovereign goodness, maybe you're here today and you realize, oh my. I'm in the midst of my 90 years and I am not, I'm not alive. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know that. Christ is in me. I, 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 maybe I've had some religion. Maybe I've had some religious ideas, but I don't have assurance that I have been born again. Well, it is God's sovereign goodness that you're here because the Bible says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. God only knocks. God doesn't force. God doesn't make anybody do anything. But he can knock pretty loud. And I want you to know that that knock is pure love. God loves you. Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter how bad your sins are or how long you've sinned or what you've done. His purpose in coming was to die for you. 
But you have to respond. You have to open the door. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, because this is between you and God. But I do like to help people pray because somebody helped me pray. If that is you, you, Jesus is knocking. You want to say yes. You want to open the door. Would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? I see that hand. Bless you, ma'am. I see this hand back here. Thank you, sir. See this hand in the back over here. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Bless you. You could put those down. Is there anybody else? Gotcha. Just mind slipping that hand you raised over your heart and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus, thank you for knocking on my door. Thank you for not letting me go my own way, doing my own thing. Lord, today I open my door and say, come in and save me. Wash away my sins now. I receive the gift of eternal life now. And I say, thank you. Now, God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to follow Jesus the rest of my life, I pray. Amen. Then could we stand to our feet, please? Now I want to pray for those who need a physical healing in your body. You, you understand, this is just a tent. The guarantee is not that this tent's going to get better. But you, you need this tent to feel better so you can finish your race down here. If that's you, just open your arms like this. We're going to pray for physical healing right now. Lord, I'm praying for every single person that has their hands open right now. That even whatever happens during this prayer, that they would know you're with them, that you're close, and that you are good. Now, Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, would you come and give life to these mortal bodies? Would you take away back pain and ulcers and injuries from accidents? Would you come and the way you moved on this single mom with just electric power to bring healing? We just release anointing, healing anointing all over this place right now. Lord, strengthen our tents to meet our days down here. And Lord, whatever is not taken care of, for whatever reason, we can't fathom it. Let the pain, the trouble, be part of strengthening us in these momentary afflictions because eternal glory is coming. Yes. Yes. So Lord, we, we offer even our pain to you as Jesus, you suffered, I'm suffering right now. I offer it to you every day as part of my worship and God, prepare me. This isn't even worthy of being compared to the glory that is coming. Lord, I pray that hope would abound in our hearts and that the brevity of this life would become very real to us because we're waiting for Jesus, our Savior, to come again. Our citizenship is in heaven 
And one day soon, we're going home. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.